the Yeah We Know podcast. It has something for everyone. I just don't know. I don't know what to think. I don't I don't get it yet. Read your history books, Chris. You're older than all of us on this podcast. Dudes always get squashed in their hometown. That's the way it goes down in professional wrestling. Edge is from Ottawa and he got his ass handed to him last night on Raw. I mean, it feels like there's this inside thing that I'm just not aware of or understand. That is a perfect day one WrestleMania opening match. The Yeah We Know podcast. Three guys who can't wrestle, who can talk in their basements. Hello, Internet. The Morgan You Know Podcast Network presents Balls and Brew. Oh, welcome in to what is sure to be a rousing rendition of the flagship sports podcast here on the Morgan You Know Podcasting Network. I am your host. My name is Rod Morgan. Joining me is the producer of this podcast and every other podcast here on the Morgan You Know Podcasting Network. He's our jack of all trades. He's our guy down there south of Indianapolis. It's Jimmy Jamriska. It has been an amazing week. Unfortunately, nothing really special has happened. The NFL draft had no surprises. NBA playoffs have basically been chalk. What are we going to talk about today? Yes, we are. We are chalked full on this episode of Balls and Brew. We have plenty of things to get to, helping us get to all of them. Of course, our guy down in North Carolina. He's the old man, but we love him anyway. It's Chris King. Chris, hello. What is up, gentlemen? And the words N, and not the words, the letters NFL were brought up already. So if we're talking NFL, we have one guy, our handicapper, crunching the numbers. He was in hog heaven watching the draft. I know he was. It's Josh Williams. Josh, hello. What's up, boys? There was over 312,000 people that attended the draft in Kansas City over the weekend. That's awesome. And did you want to be one of those? Did you consider driving down to Kansas City and going hardcore, Mr. Williams? Did you ever think about it? Get some of that KC barbecue. Oh man, we might have to wherever it's at. I think it's in Detroit next year, so it's even closer next year. Yeah, it's been the pass. best thing the NFL has done in recent memory is to move the draft. And it wasn't even something they wanted to do or had plans to do. That was because Radio City Music Hall kicked them out. Well, and also in the early days when the draft was coming around, when you were first becoming a fan, Chris, you guys just read about it in the paper like three, four, five days later. It was, it was definitely not a thing where you guys knew immediately when the pick happened. Yeah, no, no. Like our war rooms were like on the third floor in some little dingy Jersey City office building, you know, and ain't no, there was no press there, no fans there, just a bunch Believe of those old me, guys no smoking one, cigarettes. No one, wanted, no one wanted to hear their name called in the drafts Christmas looking at. Believe me, nobody wanted to hear those names. <laughs> oh, listen, there are so many things we can do with the draft, and Williams and Chris have some stuff that we can get to. I'm sure Jimmy does too. What I first need to get to here right off the top is I want to continue to thank Mr. Ursay and Mr. Ballard for their continued listening to this very podcast. <laughs> I have continued to steer the Indianapolis Colts' decisions at quarterback, and who better than a 43-year-old never really playing football part-time podcaster than to steer your quarterback room than me but they did exactly what i wanted them to they took anthony richardson i have no delusions of grandeur here jim that we are going to be great because of richardson next year but i am absolutely excited to put this kind of athlete on the indianapolis colts go ahead and rain on my parade if you want jim no i like i like to pick a lot of of the people that were available that was definitely the one i wanted them to take and you're right. He's an athlete. Things can happen. It's going to be a tough year. But guess what? The last two years were kind of tough. And we had quarterbacks who one, one couldn't walk without breaking both of his ankles. The other couldn't throw. We have somebody who can at least do both. I hope. I hope, Williams. Yeah, let me go on, on an extended rant here. But it's a good rant. Rod is going to, oh. Rod's, Rod's going to love this here. Let me tell you about Shane Steichen's coaching resume. Last two years, called plays for the number three scoring offense in 2022, helped develop Jalen Hurts into one of the league's top QBs. I I should say, state that Shane Steichen is the Colts head coach here. Um, He developed, he had two 1,000 yard wide receivers last year in addition to a 1,200 yard rusher. The 2020 OC Chargers. He was, he was the offense coordinator for Chargers. Guided Justin Herbert to rookie records for completions and passing touchdowns. Chargers had the fourth fewest turnovers in the league. Uh, 2016, 2019, he was the QB coach for the Chargers. Rivers goes to three consecutive Pro Bowls. 
And get this, 2013, he was on the offensive staff for the Cleveland Browns. He helped the Browns become the sixth team in NFL history to have three different quarterbacks throw for over 300 yards in their individual games. The QBs on those teams, Jason Campbell, Brian Hoyer, and Brandon Whedon. So now they get Anthony Brandon Richardson. Whedon. Shout yeah. out Brandon Whedon. Haven't heard his name in a while. That's a good one. He got drafted when he was like 28 years old. Yeah. So now they, they take a huge swing, uh, draft Anthony Richardson, uh, put, pairing him with Shane Steichen. Like I said, help Jalen Hurts become the player he is today. Uh, I, I give the Colts an A on their draft. They also got Kansas State cornerback Julius Brents. He's got great length. They got Josh Downs, wide receiver from Carolina. Reggie Wayne said before the draft he was the best wide receiver in the in this draft. He's a slot guy. Then they got a good swing tackle in the third, Freeland from BYU. They got in the fourth. They also got an edge defensive tackle from Northwestern, who's an absolute freak, super big and fast. They got a really good pass catching running back from Northwestern. Colts took a ton of big-time athletes in this draft. They needed to get more athletic, and man, did they ever. This is going to look like no other Indianapolis Colt team you have ever seen going forward. Chris, your thoughts. I mean, this is what you want to hear, right? You say that every organization needs to be fired up and trying to win every moment. It sounds like the Colts are definitely doing that, no? Listen, I'm not necessarily disappointed in their draft. I am excited for this season. It is always always great to have hope in your teams, uh, and you get excited for that. That can get the fan base around you. I still contend that their best move would have been trying to trade for and sign Lamar Jackson. I think you would have had a proven commodity that is just as athletic as Richardson. Um, however, that not happening and Baltimore doing the right thing and paying the man – we get Anthony Richardson. And if you guys have not seen him, this man is chiseled from granite, it looks like. This dude is a specimen. He is probably one of the most athletic guys we've seen in a long time come out of a draft. I really do hope he has a better completion percentage than he did in college, which is hovering right around 52%. Yeah, what a, what a note to end on there. You get in your last little your little barb there. I'll tell you what, if it doesn't work out for Anthony Richardson at quarterback, he definitely could find his way down to the performance center in Florida, Jimmy, and maybe uh, make his way as a professional wrestler, right? Like a little little Montez Ford cut up out of this guy. True. Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon loves everything, and I mean everything about this draft pick for the Colts. It uh, uh, he he looks great, and again. No one can fault the Colts for taking him here. He was the only pick, really, as you saw. No one liked Levis. So I think that uh, they made the right call. All right, Williams, let's go to uh, who actually made a big splash, according to I got uh, a quick, I got Uh-oh. a quick question for Williams Uh-oh. here. Since Uh-oh. we brought up Will Levis, we all saw that line move for him being the overall number one pick dramatically from, like, what was it, Williams, 45, plus 45 down to plus 800 or something? And there's rumors going around that he did that so people he knew could then get that money on, uh, what's his name, cheaper and make more money on the open num- the overall number one pick. Shocking that yeah. Chris is yeah. a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, that, that's the whole thing was from Reddit, so that I mean. <laughs> If that, that if that was his cousin saying that, uh, I mean, I would have I would have smashed the over on because his went his uh, draft pick went up to like or his line went up to like four and a half, um, even even when it came down from one. So he, at one time, Will Levis was the betting favorite to go number two, and he was the betting favorite to go number four. So it's like uh, you know something doesn't add up here, and then you know kind of. Uh, th- you saw him fall, and then he didn't even come back for day two. So yeah, it was it was wild. I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it though. I like I, I'm not taking anything that Reddit says. <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously though, in the future, <laughs> yeah, not that you got I did there this before I could, Mr. Williams. I was, anybody yeah. that believes something on Reddit, you reap what you sow. All right, that's just that's that's what you get for believing some of them that was on a Reddit thread. For goodness sakes, so let's talk about threads of good draft picks, Mr. Williams, who did stuff that you liked.
Well, uh, Williams, uh, technically, Sorry. you need to have your microphone Sorry. on to answer. I questions. did. It's, a, it's an audio form of a podcast. So, Williams, who'd you like here at the NFL draft? Yeah, the obvious answer is Philadelphia. Uh, they got the most talented player in the draft, arguably, in Jalen Carter. We all know he's got some off the field issues. Um, but to get him at to get him at nine when they I mean the Bears probably should have got more from them because they the Bears traded back. Um I mean everybody knew that that he wasn't dropping past Philly there. And then the, if they didn't get Carter, they were gonna take Nolan Smith, uh the linebacker at at, at ten there and they somehow he falls to them at thirty one. Um yeah, they just they just killed it, man. And then they got Tyler Steen, a, a Bama offensive lineman in the third. They pick up Illinois safety, Sidney Brown, a four-year starter. And the next pick, they stole a cornerback from Georgia with their other fourth-round pick, uh, Kylie Ringo. He was the number one cornerback on the national champions. Uh, and they got a potential long-term backup quarterback in the sixth with with McKee from Stanford. Like Philly, Philly's playing chess at this uh, at this draft, and there's some other teams playing checkers. All right, now listen, I want to slow down on that real quick here. Jimmy, I wanted to go to you on this, Mr. Williams, and then you can continue with your other great nuggets that you have for all of us, and we love you for having all of them, okay? But are we really going to give Howie Rosen this much credit? All the guy's doing is plucking people from Georgia and Alabama. I mean, is it that hard at this point to just figure that the guys at Georgia and Alabama are bringing in the best athletic talent? Jimmy. Apparently, because no one else is doing it, and they're being successful. So, yes, uh, he's – like you said, it is a chess and checkers game. Listen, Jalen Carter could be the best player easily in this draft. Could be another Warren Sapp, right? If he went to the Bears, I don't think that would have been the case. The Lions, I don't think it would have been the case. It's all about who you surround people with. And Philly's smart enough to know we bring him in. He his 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 boy is right next to him on the on the line. We have veterans here. So yeah, I really think he does deserve that credit for making those moves. Because you know other people wanted to, to to trade up with Chicago. But Chicago wanted that tackle, so they didn't want to go too far down. Chris, are you are you singing the praises of the Philadelphia GMs like everyone else, or are you with me that like, wait a minute, this guy's just plucking people from a couple of schools? That's that's not hard. I I don't even know anything about college sports or pro sports for that matter, and I probably could have done that. Yeah, I mean, it's like picking the low hanging fruit almost, if you ask me. So I'm kind of with you, Rod. We agree for once. Uh, you can't go wrong with two of the best recruiting programs in the nation when it comes to Georgia, Alabama, or even a lot of other SEC schools that Philadelphia has been plucking from. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the sentiment that it's good for your rookies to have somebody they're familiar with also with them in the locker room. Um, Sometimes, especially with defensive tackles, you're going to end up having to compete with that guy for a spot on the team. And then how's that going to affect you if one of those guys doesn't perform or gets traded or gets cut? I I don't know. So more power to them, I guess. I'm not a Philadelphia fan, like you all know. I cannot root for their success. I am hoping that the loss of their two coordinators this year has a greater effect than what people realize, and I think they will fall down to earth a little bit next year. All right. Well, we have plenty of time to get to our predictions before the NFL season starts. Mr. Williams, the uh, I guess another big headline we should hit real quick before you give us something else is uh, Houston, right? I mean, they picked it two and three. We don't see that very often. Do you like their strategy there? Uh, no, I do not. I think uh, I think they were one of the biggest losers. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were one of the biggest losers. I, I gave them like a D grade. I mean, was it worth it to to really drag Stroud's name through the mud just to fool everybody and end up taking him at two? I mean, that's that's what you get when an owner gets involved and tells the GM and head coach just to figure it out. I mean, the communication with this dumpster fire of an organization is really off the charts. Remember, remember when uh, Lovey Smith was supposed to lose the game last year and they just forgot to tell him. I mean. Uh, just well, then, then they compound the problem by trading up nine spots to get linebacker Will Anderson, who he's not even a generational talent. He's not a Miles Garrett. He's not a Nick Bosa. He's not a Chase Young. 
uh, and they gave up 12, 33. They gave up next year's first. Hello, Houston might be terrible next year, and Arizona might be terrible. I think Arizona is one of the biggest winners. Arizona might be might have two top five picks next year. They actually might have the top two picks next year. So uh, then the rest of their draft for the Texans was nothing really to write home about. You know, I'm lower on Stroud than most. Uh, the the S two scores got leaked out. Bryce Young had a 98. Will Levis had a 93. CJ Stroud had an 18. So that's a little um, different. That's, that's a little different. It's a little different, man. I, I'm not a fan of the of the Houston Texans draft. I love what the Arizona GM did as well, Mr. Williams. He said there, it's a complete NBA move by him. He's like, listen, all these guys that are going to stick next year, I had nothing to do with these guys. Wait till next year when I can draft all of my guys. Look at all these picks I got for next year. It's a complete beat, save your ass move there. The NBA GMs are are brilliant at it. So good move out of Arizona's new guy. Yeah, plus they got the guy who they wanted in the first place. They were going to take Paris Johnson, the big offensive tackle from Ohio State at three. They traded back to 12, then went back up to six because they got all those draft picks and they took him anyway. So they're setting themselves up nicely for next year and the years to come. Uh, so, yeah, it was a really good draft from Arizona's uh, standpoint. All right. And uh, Chris, uh, you mentioned that you're not happy that the Eagles drafted well. Your Cowboys didn't have a whole lot of noise to make, but they uh, ended up making some headlines anyway. Why don't you tell us what went on down there in Dallas? Yeah, it, it's one of the better stories of the draft, if you ask me. Even, even though I'm biased because it's the Cowboys, this is still a great story. Okay, so Cowboys have a assistant director of college scouting named Chris Vaughn. His son... Deuce plays running back at Kansas State, and a lot of people thought he was going to be a late-round pick in in, in this year's draft. So Chris, you know, being transparent and everything, he he refused to do any scouting reports on his son. He let somebody else do it. He would leave the room anytime his son's name was brought up during consideration. When – it was getting into the later rounds of the draft. Chris was actually out of the war room working on trying to get a list of undrafted free agents that they could pick up and things like he that. Grinding. He was doing his job. He was doing his job. You know, he gave his son a call saying, Hey, how you holding up? You know, I know we're getting late rounds. Just, just have faith, blah, blah, blah. So sixth round comes on and, and Chris Vaughn comes back into the war room and at this point in time, Jerry Jones already knows that they're going to pick Deuce, right? They already know. But he doesn't let Chris know this yet. He acts like he's still mulling it over. Eventually, they tell him it's going to happen. They ask him, would you like to call your son? He's, he starts getting emotional, tries to call us, picks up his phone. His phone's dead, has to grab somebody else's, calls his son up, say, hey, this is dad. My phone died. How would you like to come work with me next week? Oh, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I, th- I think I saw the – and never actually watched the video, I must admit. I never actually watched the video, so I didn't realize that that's what he said to him at the end of it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, Jerry Jones also made the comment. He's like, he's like, I'm probably one of the best – I've never had an experience during a draft like this. So Jerry it, Jones it, looking an awful lot like the Crip Keeper in a couple of pictures <laughs> that I saw there all the way yeah. up in the corner of the head of the table. Yeah. My goodness, yeah. Jerry, come on. Yeah, he's getting old. I mean, he's not trying – at least he's not trying to fake it like a uh, certain uh, CEO that we're all very fond of. Yeah, exactly. All right, Mr. Williams, so we said Houston did bad. We said Philadelphia did well. Give us somebody else that did well, somebody else that did bad. I really like what Seattle did. Um I know I'm usually anti-Seattle, but I think they sure got are. The, that surprises me. Uh, the, I think they got the best cornerback uh, in the draft, uh, Devin Witherspoon from Illinois. He's an absolute stud, man. And I think they got the best slot wide receiver in Jackson Smith and Jigba. And he's not going to be asked to do much uh, in Seattle either because he's got Metcalf and Lockett, uh, uh, you know, on the on that same offense with him. He's basically same as Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State's offense, the, the easiest position to play on Ohio State's offense is the slot. So he doesn't have that straight line speed, but he doesn't need it in Seattle. He's a fantastic route runner, and that's really all they need in Seattle. This is going to be a different, uh, hopefully, hopefully this is going to be a different like three wide receiver set Seattle offense. And, and, and they got a, a really good uh, 
like power running back Zach Charbonnet uh, in the in the third or fourth round from UCLA. Um, I mean, I think Seattle did a really good job this year. So are we going? Uh, are we going Lions here? Popular wisdom that the Lions had two picks in the first round and got a little uh, off board, or do you have somebody else for another team that you had a bad feeling about? Well, Detroit's interesting because I I think they actually reached with a couple of their picks, like the first two picks. They didn't really need to take Jameer Gibbs at twelve. They didn't really need to take an off ball linebacker Jack Campbell at like eighteen. But but in a vacuum, I like those players. So it's kind of, it's kind of tough. And then, and then they got a really good uh, tight end, Sam Laporta in the second from Iowa. Um, and they also got Brian branch safety from Bama in the third. So they, they kind of, they kind of made up for their first round, like reaches with some second and third round, really good values. So there was a lot of, um, a lot of like draft Nazis that were killing them in the first round just for positional, what they took for positional value. But I think if you just look at their players, they've got, they got good players, man. So yeah, Detroit's uh Detroit is an interesting uh, draft grade. What did we learn from Kevin Costner, Rod? Take the guys that you want. Yeah, that's true. Listen, draft day is a way underrated movie. As far as movies written about NFL draft day go, it's really up there near the top of the list about movies that were written about NFL draft day. Jimmy, I like what uh Mr. Williams said there about how, the draft Nazis were mad about positional value. I would love to come to you on these big grand scheme things here, Jim. Are we are we maybe a little bit out of control on the drafts? Are we maybe just a little bit too over our skis here where we just have all of these words that get thrown out only one time a year? It's the two weeks leading up to draft. It's the week after draft. Everybody loves the draft or they don't hate the draft. Everybody says, oh, why would you take an inside linebacker there? You got to get position of value. I mean, have we just have we just gone over the deep end with the draft ultimately? We have because there are 32 different boards and 32 different teams that see people different ways. Each team, except for the Bengals, has multiple scouts that um, have different uh, views as well. So, yeah, you're you're seeing a lot of different people, and you know you get your people on on the talking heads that just need to get ratings or need to get clicks, and they they say what they need to say. I, I understand that you know the the Mel Kuypers of the world are passionate. They they do believe what they believe. Uh, but obviously other, other people have different opinions. So when we say that Gibbs could have been, uh, you could have moved down to get a running back in the first round, maybe the Lions didn't think that they had a deal that they knew they were going to get him for sure. And that's the kicker. If you want Gibbs and you don't think you can 100% get him, stay there and take him. And in their defense, a running back had already gone off the board at that point. As much as we hear about running backs not being valued, we saw one go in the top 10, and then we saw another one go within the top 15. So, you know, exactly. I like what you said there, Jim. The only way we'll find out. See, I love how Rod said he loved what I said, and it's like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to say that. I'm good. <laughs> I actually, I just I hit my cough button like a veteran there. What well, we're going to find out who was route is in a year, a year and a half, two years from now. We have no way of knowing who is right on this NFL draft day. But Mr. Williams will be here with us. We'll talk about these guys in full force when we are doing team previews, season previews, when guys show up during the year next year. We'll talk all about them. But it is coming up on the first Saturday in May, and that means the Kentucky Derby. None of these three gentlemen felt comfortable enough to talk Kentucky Derby with me, so I got a couple of pinch hitters who are going to join me here in a second to chop up what's going to go on down in Louisville. All right, we are going to talk horses. This episode is coming out before the first Saturday in May, and the first Saturday in May always brings the Kentucky Derby, the 149th running of the Kentucky Derby this weekend. The normal Balls and Brew crew have been excused. They are afraid of the ponies. They do not know anything about horse racing, so I had to call in some reserves Joining us on Balls and Brew, which is a rare appearance for her. You can hear her over as co-host on the Morganino podcast many times. She doesn't love sports, but she does love the Kentucky Derby. It's the Mrs. Morgan you know, Kate Morgan. Hello. And joining us for his first, his maiden voyage, his rookie trip here on the podcast, is a man who used to work as a casino host, so he knows all types of gamblers. He gave us an insane horse bet to bet on the derby last year we were so close except we were so far away <laughs> in that the first race we lost immediately on he is a dear old friend of kate from michigan city the bloodlines through the morgan you know podcast always tend to go through michigan city we are 
joined by Nicholas Venice. Nick, hello. We, uh, we, we're ready for you to drop some horse knowledge on us. Now, before we get to any horse knowledge, I'm going to throw it to the Mrs. Morgan you know because we are going to Louisville this weekend. We're not going to the Derby because we are too old to go deal with all the craziness that is Derby Day, but we are hoping to go on Oaks. So I know Kate has been watching the forecast all week. Kate, what are we looking at for weather at the Derby this weekend? It's looking like a 25% chance of rain, some sun, mostly clouds, but it's also looking to uh, rain on Oaks Day and that night prior to Derby. So we could be looking at kind of a sloppy track, but I feel like the most unpredictable weather days of the entire year are always on Oaks and Derby Day. Like it never fails, never, ever, ever fails. Like it's either saying it's going to rain and it doesn't or it does rain. I mean, it's it's a mess. So we'll just kind of play it by ear. Yeah, it does. It does seem that if you try to go by what the weather forecasters say in the Derby, it flips on you out of nowhere. Nick, are you always worried about the forecast or do you not let the forecast factor in and you're more just, you know what, let me look at the horses and the weather be damned? I think the, the that's the last thing I look at is the weather. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm too focused on the program. The weather's the last thing I need to know, but uh, I think it's going to be a fast track. You know, they got, uh, they, they keep that up pretty good uh, with the drainage and all that. So I think we're going to have a fast track this weekend. All right. So then you said the weather is the last thing you look at. Give us a couple of the first things that you start to look at when you're looking at a field. 20 horses in the field for the Kentucky Derby race always. <clears throat> I mean, that's insane. Uh, 20 horses. Um, what I look at is um, I look at to see if a ho- horse is a, is a front runner or a closer. So I kind of look at the uh, the past performances. I'm a type of guy with when it comes to the Derby, it's going to be crazy chaotic. Um, you know, I don't want horses to go ten wide and, and try to win the race. It's so I'm looking at horses that's going to stalk a little bit and then come and finish. I don't I don't look at horses that take off and go wider wire in the Derby. I'm looking for the uh, the mid to late uh, to late closers. That's what I look at. What previous races typically come into play as you're looking at horses too? Is it the Florida Derby? Is it, um, go ahead. Sorry. They're all of them. No, no, you're good. It's all of them. I mean, they have this thing is called road, road to the, to the Derby. So you got all these prep races and and all of them, uh, you know, are very important. you, You know what I mean? And, you know, when it comes to the program, they have this thing called the speed figure, Right. And it's kind of comparing apples to apples. So it doesn't matter if you're at the Santa Anita Derby or the Oak Lawn or whatever Derby you're at, you know. Uh, so that is not as important as to me. Now, of course, it's got to be a graded stakes race. So it's, it's either a grade one, grade two or grade three stakes. So, yeah, when you're looking at past performances and uh, previous races, you want to make sure that they're in the bigger races. Let me play off of that for just one quick second here. We've been seeing a lot of uh, foreign horses rolling into the Derby over the past couple of years. Do you worry about a horse that runs, say, over in Asia or runs through the Middle East, or does that not bother you either? No. I mean, you know, th- th- there's always a mystery factor to those. Like, I was looking at uh, – what's that one horse here? Let me uh, pull I was going to ask here. you how to pronounce it because as of as we record on Tuesday evening, our three, our three number favorite – yeah, Derma Sogate. That's a horse that people say is pretty gonna- strong. Yeah, I was going to say that too. I mean, this horse is pretty legit. I mean, he had a million dollar race last race, and and he won pretty easy. And and here's the thing, he's the only horse in this race uh, that's coming up in the Derby. It's a mile and a quarter, right? This guy raced a mile and three sixteenth. No horse in this race has ever done that uh, so far. Uh, you know, the mile and an eighth is uh, is the longest. So they're going an extra furlong. And this horse, uh, this foreign horse, has done that. And he won pretty good. So who knows, right? I mean, I mean, I would probably throw him in there in, in my exotic bets, mm-hmm. but I don't think he would win. Well, I do think it is scary, though, sometimes to, to to bet on the foreign horses if they haven't been in the country for long, right? Like in the past, we've had horses come in from Saudi Arabia who are favored to win and do nothing because of the travel time and they're yeah. unable to run here. So I feel like that's something I do factor in a little bit when I'm looking at horses um, that are coming over from overseas. Yeah, what they say, like, you know, the last time of. A foreign horse one. It's been it's been decades. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be rough on him. That. 
They got. I mean, I'd imagine mm-hmm. they're on a boat, right? You don't want to bring them on a plane. There's probably whole types of instances with a plane. <laughs> so I imagine they're on a boat. That takes a long time, right? I mean, you know, boat travel. Yeah. No, you, boat travel, unless you're going for leisure, folks, is not necessarily the fastest way to get around on the ocean. Yes. All right. <laughs> now we talked about Dermasogat at ten to one. Nikki, I know you were telling us you like a little bit of Practical Move, who's also a 10 to 1. Tell us what you like about Practical Move. I know. Uh, let me pull him up. So let's see. Practical Move's in the tin hole, the tin hole right here. We got Ramon Vasquez is going to be your jockey, and he's trained by Tim Yachtin. Yeah, right. So, of course, uh, they won the Santa Anita Derby. Um, uh, let's see here. I'm looking at – I mean, just the fact that, like, his – he hasn't raced since April 8th, but he his workouts are strong. Like He's got strong workouts. Let me see if I can pull you back. But, uh, yeah, his last two uh, workouts were pretty strong. And by that, I don't know if you – are you looking at the program itself right now? I've just got all I've just got all the horses written down in their post position, their odds, and the jockers and the trainers. Because I'm old school, right? I got to have my own handwriting down on an actual piece of paper. I'm yeah. holding it up for here, Nick. I look like a complete psycho, but this is what I'm working from here. I'm just looking at the post positions on NBC Sports. Yeah, so this guy, you know, obviously in the ten hole. Um, I, I love the fact that since April eighth, um, his his so called practices, his uh, his light runs, he's been in, in the top of his class during that day. So. He's finishing second out of 33, um, second out of 31, first out of 95 horses wow. um, um, uh, in March, the, the race before that. But, I mean, he's got solid solid times. If you look at his speed figures, it's over 100 plus his last three races. He was the favorite last race. Um, you know, the only thing that I'm a little nervous about is – you know, he was winning the race. It's a mile and an eighth, and he was losing ground mm. uh, right towards the end. But he won by a nose, and that's the only thing that's kind of holding me back a little bit. But I think with the with the ten hole, if he can get out there, if it's not too fast up front, um, you know, he's got the closing speed to do it. So he's still my pick. I mean, I got to go with practical move. So practical, practical move could be a practical bet. Okay, what else do you like? Yeah. What about um, who are they saying Rod was at? Yeah. What are your thoughts on the two favorites as we record yeah. right now? We're looking at Forte at three to one and Tap at Trice at five to one. Yeah, you know it's funny. Uh, like for every race, I like to handicap for 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 fun. You got to say the horse's name and you got to say between the sheets. Okay. Right. That's, Tap that's at Trice the between the tw- between the sheets. Not too shabby. One thousand percent. Who's the winner in that? I, it's either it's either two it's either two fills between the sheets, or mm-hmm. tap it twice between uh, between the sheets. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But yeah, but uh, let me see here. Tap it because I've heard a few people say maybe fade the maybe fade the favorite a little bit, right? Because that's the other thing too, right? Sure, the favorite's nice to have in certain boxes and stuff, but the favorite's not going to pay you a whole lot of money. So I always like hearing the fade the favorite because then you don't have to put it in your bets because it's not going to win you any money anyway. Exactly. I mean, you know, I typically when I you know when I wager, pick a horse in the Kentucky Derby, and just kind of build your bets around him. So you know. You know, if you like, like for me, I like practical move. Um, you know, I might put him for second and, and load maybe five horses for the first position and, and five horses for the third position and just kind of mix it up. You know, might put him for third and kind of load up on the top two. Um, you know, uh, with betting, if you if you bet five horses in a trifecta, that's a $60 bet. Mm-hmm. Now, if I key my, my practical move for second, then it's only uh, – you know, 20 bucks, you know, it's five. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a $20 bet. So I'm using six horses instead of five and it's costing me a third of the money. And that's just because I'm just keying certain positions. Um, but if you, if you're asking about, uh, Tappet Trice is he's in the five hole. That's kind of, that's kind of nervous. If you look at what he does, the only thing about the, Trice is uh, he's in the five hole, but he likes to lag, so he he's not a front runner. So he's going to have to hold back. And my biggest worry is you always see these horses that go five wide in a ten horse race. But just imagine if he's got to go, you know, fifteen wide in a twenty horse race. Mm-hmm. So he might get jammed inside because he's not a front runner. 
he's a closer. So the question is, can he close, you know, with, with, you know, 15, 10 horses in front of him coming into the, to, you know, to the top of the stretch. And then, uh, who else? I got to mention, got? we got to mention about tap at Trice though here. This is Todd Pletcher, right? Oh, this is one I of your meant. big time. Yeah, yeah. It's one of your big time trainers. This guy's won the Derby before, got a bunch of horses in this particular Derby. Well, oh, and yeah, Tappet, I feel like I have heard this name before. I feel like this was a der- Tappet, who I believe is part of this lineage, ran the Derby before too. And I'd have to look it up. I haven't. I apologize yeah. to see what he, he has, ran or look, what it looked like for him. His, his sire, if you look at it, it says Tappet. You were right, babe. Look his at dad, you. His his father, and there's another horse in the in this race that his he's fathered by Tappet. And what's funny is that I can see the stud fees on these things. Yeah. Um, you know, the stud fee for Tappet $225,000. Can you imagine the stud with that horse? Two hundred twenty-five. Wow. I think he is the most expensive. I mean. Well, let's hope they get some bang yeah. for their buck on that deal. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, <they're> definitely- <laughs> hey, oh. You know who else? I- you know who else I like? Who you got? Sucks. Two fills, two fills. I've heard some. I've heard so, some noise about two fills. People like the three hole. So two fills, man. He crushed it his life. He's got the best speed rating in uh, of all the horses go, uh, coming from the last race. Um, he's quick, and the thing is, he hasn't raced since March twenty fifth. But he's got some workouts. They call them bullets. That means he finished first in every workout since uh, since his last win. So that means he's he's in a He's in the best shape, uh, you know, as he can be, and, and it's proven in the in the workout. So right. he could be a reckoning for uh, for two fills. Uh, as far as Forte, right? What what post position is he? He is fifteen. Mm-hmm. Correct. So the thing about Forte and even Angel of the Empire, they're both, uh, you know, eight to one, three to one. Um, you know, they both kind of run the same thing. They kind of like to lay back. Uh, and they're both kind of closers. So just my my thing is, you know, how far back are they going to be? Um, you know, and, and depending on the pace of the race, are they able to, you know, to, you know, at the top of the stretch, the, the turn and burn, and 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 win that race? And if I'm looking, you know, he doesn't. He's got, you know, great closing speed for the fourteen fifteen. So expect those two to be together during that race. The, I I think practical moves are going to be in that first cluster. And I think these horses, you know, like Forte and, and, uh, and the 14 horse angel of empire, they're going to be together. And I think if they're going to make a move, you know, it's going to be in that second, uh, in that second pack. You angel know, of uh, empire. My favorite. You're speaking yeah. my language there with angel of empire. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a storyteller at heart here, right? This is why I host the podcast. This is why I work as a DJ on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the story for angel of empire would be Flavian Pratt, the jockey and Brad Cox, the trainer each technically have a Kentucky Derby win, but each one of them were under somewhat muddled circumstances. Flavian Pratt yeah. won on country strong back in 2019 when maximum security was disqualified and Brad Cox only won his derby a year after 2021 when Medina Spirit was disqualified. So these two coming That's together funny. on Angel of Empire, 8-1, 14-hole. That is the Mr. Morgan, you know, pick for the derby. I mean, you know what? To be honest, that that jockey uh, trainer right now, they're, they're hot. They, they In their last 10 starts together, they've won four races. So they're betting 40% between Brad Cox two. is the uh, trainer's name, and he's got two other horses in this uh, in this derby, oh, and yeah, Hit Shower exactly. and Verifying. And then Forte's jockey, Arad Ortiz, I'm reading, is about on the way to winning his fifth best jockey in the world title, and the guy's only 30 years old. So apparently he knows what he's doing <laughs> behind the reins of a horse as well on, the, on Forte. That's one of the reasons oh, I'm assuming yeah. they're the favorite. He's always been behind Forte. Like, if you look at it through the life of this horse, man, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven races. Yeah, he's raced seven times in his life, and and Ortiz has been on him every single time. You know, um, yeah. So who knows, man? All right, like so said, give us, favorite, give us. I just don't know. Give us the exotic. Give us, give us a box. Give us something cool on the way out here. We talked about a couple of horses. Give us, give us a box. Give us something <clears throat> cool. Give us the, give us the oh, Nikki special here. The Nikki V special. I would do something not a box. I think that's just the. I'd like the key horses. 
So if I were to box five horses, that's a $20 bet, right? But if I think practical moves are going to finish, you know, first or second, I'll key him for, let's say, second. I'll put 10 horses on top. And so I'm going to get the same value. You know so what I mean? You, so if you choose 10 horses for a box, you only have to key one. Or, I mean, you could do te- you could do 10 horses in a box just like that. But if you choose yeah. to key a horse in a box, you can only do one if, if you want to. Yeah, it's one of the others. So if you box five horses in an exacta, right? So mm-hmm. that's going to cost you 20 bucks to box mm-hmm. five horses. So for, for $20, I'm thinking I can do better than that. What I'll do is I'll take Impractical Move. And I'll put them for I'll key them for first and put ten horses behind them. That's a ten dollar bet. And then my other bet is I'll put ten dollar uh, ten horses in front of them ah, and put them for second. Gotcha. Right. So now I created a lot of value instead of putting five horses in a box. I just got a bet with eleven horses. So you're only keying one ways. horse in that, and then you, and then all of the other horses can come in any other order. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So. I'm just entrusting my 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 gut on impractical move. I think and that's great. If you great. can come first or second, then I can. That, then I got ten horses. I can put long shots in there. I can do whatever whatever I want. And I'm telling you what, if if this horse, um, I think he's um, an an entry horse. Uh, let's see, Mandarin Hero. I don't know. He's not in the derby, but there's ever a scratch if he if he gets in he's, there. He's the first in. If there's a scratch, yeah, I was gonna say we haven't had a scratch yet, but yeah. there will be one. There always is. And I'm telling you what, that horse is legit. And he, uh, if I'm looking at it, he raced against Impractical Move. So this horse is from Tokyo, and if he if he gets into the race, I mean, this horse should have beaten uh, Practical Move, and he's from Tokyo. And again, it's a mile and an eighth race that he. I mean, he was closing in on my horse, and had had it been a mile and a quarter like the Derby, he would have won that easy. Well, listen, and this I, is I this is the knowledge. Eighty-five to one. This is the knowledge we bring you on here for. All right, you're giving us the backup horses stats and telling people to jump all over him I the know. minute he I is just, in the race. This I, is what we bring you on for, Nikki. <laughs> you just never know, man. Because wasn't who was it? What was Rich Strike? Was he? Uh, he wasn't an entry horse, was he? The horse that won last year, he was not. He was put in the race okay. the night before. That's what I meant. I knew, yep. I knew because I remember handicapping the race, like, you know, on a Tuesday, Wednesday. And mm-hmm. I remember, I'm like, looking at my bets. I'm like, and the way I'm like, who the hell? I'm like, I never, never had a chance with him. So, yeah, you just never know, man. You got to cover all your tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, actually really like the 17 horse, the Derma, and I will not attempt to say and butcher a Japanese name like that, but I like the 17 horse, but I will say for me, this is my 19th year celebrating the Kentucky Derby. I went 19 years ago to Churchill Downs when Smarty Jones won. And that track was annihilated. You talk about how good they do at the drainage system. It was not that way 19 years ago when the whole thing flooded, betting was cut off. It was a mess. (laughs) But anyway, this is my 19th year. 19 is my lucky number. I like 19 Lord Miles in the sheets. Okay. So he has 30 to one odds. There's probably not a chance in hell he's doing anything, but I like him because it's my 19th year. I'm going to tell you my crazy story. Like, you know, I've been in the horse racing business for, for a long time. I've worked at several tracks in Chicago, Indiana, and the Derby was always a big, it's our Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And I remember, uh, I was running bets outside of a drive-thru because it was so busy and this and this Hispanic guy comes up. He goes, "Hey, look." He goes, "I don't know anything about horse racing." He goes, "I just want to bet my children's ages." He goes, "They're ten, twelve, and 18. And he goes for a dollar try. He goes, "And you need to know what to bet." And I'm like, "Well, why don't you just do a dollar try box?" He goes, "I'm okay." He goes, "I want three of them." He goes, of the, "I'm like of the same bet." He goes, "Yeah, just print it off three three times. I want to give one each to my daughter." And uh, and that was the race when Giacomo won. Oh my god! Yep, I was at and that he derby. Hit it. He hit it for a dollar. It paid thirty three thousand dollars, oh and he hit god. it three times. Oh my goodness! Times. Oh my and god! Each daughter, each kid got thirty three grand. Wow! And you know what's crazy is I ran that bet for him. I took it for him. He didn't tip me a dollar. That's bullshit. I mean, a dollar at least. Come on, bud. Come on. Like, <laughs> like you didn't right? know what you were doing. 
That's incredible. Oh, yeah. I was at that derby. I remember that year. Yes, that was insane. So I'm telling you what, every year, I don't care. Handicapping, you can throw that out the door. Bet some numbers. Just bet your birth dates. Do what you want to do. 14 is my number. You know, mm-hmm. I bet I bet my daughter's birth date, my wife's, I box them, do whatever I can. Because that's what I want. I want a I want a thirty three thousand dollar bet. Right. Don't we all? Don't we all? There we go. Well, let's wish that for all of those listening. Nick, let me wish that to you this Kentucky Derby weekend. Mrs. Morgan, you know, let me wish that to you because then I'll win that as well (laughs) since I am married to you. So we will wish that for everybody on Derby. And so thank you very much, Nick, for joining us and talking some Kentucky Derby. We appreciate it. Did you enjoy your maiden voyage on the podcast? Do you think you'll come back and join us again sometime? Yeah. As a horse, you know, you know when you when you haven't won a race, that it means you know I've broken my maiden. I mean, you mentioned that before, so I, I think uh, I'm ready for the the big time. So put me in a stakes stakes show. Oh, absolutely! I appreciate it. <laughs> Nick, you one, take care baby. of yourself. And listen, I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this as well. You are the you are the second best golfer I know in real life. All right, unfortunately, I know somebody that used to work as a club pro. He's a good friend of ours, Matt Roberts. He's been on the podcast, but you're the second best golfer I know in real life, my friend. That's a huge honor. I'll take that. I'll take that, baby. I appreciate it. I'll see you on the link sometime (laughs) this summer, my friend. All right, brother. Cheers. Mrs. Morganino, thank you very much for coming on and talking Kentucky Derby. Thank you. Happy Derby. Welcome to the Fast Break, the fastest 15 or so minutes in the NBA. It's Jimmy, it's Rod, it's Chris, and it's our basketball-loving Josh Williams. Gentlemen, everything and anything has happened in the NBA. Where do we start? I think we have to start where we always start. We're lighting the beam, kind of, for the last time. Our kings went down to the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Curry in Game 7. It was a tough series to watch uh, for me personally. I uh, I liked Sabonis a lot during the year, but he was just exposed like no other. And who is this? Let me see. What's his name? Who's Kavon? Seriously, you're not – you don't do anything. 82 game, nothing. And then you're, you're Wilt Chamberlain, you know, one of the top 10 players of all time. Uh, <laughs> Rod, talk to me about the Kings. And then uh, I'm going to have – I'm going to ask all of you, What's next for the Sacramento Kings? Rod. Okay, nobody is going to believe this, but this is honest to God what happened. I, in our group thread before the Kings-Warriors game was tipping off, typed out, Curry scores 50, Warriors win. And then I deleted it and got scared and decided not to send it because I said to myself, game sevens are slogs. People do not score that many points in a game seven. This is going to be a defensive battle. The Warriors are going to need Steph Curry to play defense. Man, do I wish I would have sent that text message because I'll be damned if that isn't exactly what happened. Story has since come out that Steph, not very usually a vocal guy, got the team together and said, listen, I can get you there. Just get on my back. Do a couple of things for me. I can get you there. And he did, man. That's legendary stuff. 50 points in a game seven on the road getting your team on to the next round, legendary stuff, all praise to Steph Curry. That's where I've got to be. Chris, I'm sure you're going to praise the Kings because you've been a little bit more to the front of the Kings train than I have recently. I I, I foretold their possible doom with their playoff matchup, so you can take it from the Kings aspect, I guess, Chris. Listen, you're, you're right. I've been real high on the Kings a lot this year. I had a whole lot of hope especially after they won the first two games that we could get this series. I think losing game five really hurt us. I think if we win game five, we close it out in six. Um, That being said, it was a Herculean effort by Curry in that game seven to get that win. And and it was, it was such a Herculean performance that the Kings essentially gave up in the fourth quarter. Yeah, now wait, I, I think I hear, this isn't the same music, I hear grandfather clocks going off. Is, Chris, yeah. What, what's going on? That being said, and and that that performance that he, he put on on Sunday has had nothing but the talking heads on sports radio 
just going off and and sucking on the teat of Stephen Curry and making him to be a top five all-time player in the NBA now. And I am tired of it. Listen, yes, he had a great, great performance. He is by far one of the best offensive players we have ever seen in the NBA. Only offensive, though. We saw... Time and time again, especially this year and and a few years before this, where he is not required to play defense for the Warriors. (laughs) They put him on the slowest guy, the guy that sits at the three-point line, doesn't have to go to switches that often. You never once saw him try to D up Fox in this series. Um, I'm... Just sick of hearing them think that he is one of the top five players of all time when he doesn't play one half the court. And even if he has been this this great offensive talent, and listen, he had some some really good numbers this year. I mean, his usage rate was over 31. His PR was 29.2. He did only play in 56 games, but he was still a 50-40-90 guy. Still had a true shooting percentage of 65. Um, 29 points a game, 6-6. Six and six. The, the Great, great numbers. Couldn't even get a steal a game. Couldn't even get half a block a game. What, come, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Play, wait, 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 I'm no, not no, no. done. You, you should be. You should be. I'm not done. Oh. I'm not done. In the playoffs, when he had this spectacular 50-point game, this great offensive series, his points per game has gone up. He is averaging 33 points a game. Rebounds have gone down. Assist gone down. Because he PR, makes more. down. Usage rate goes up. Field goal percentage down. Three-point percentage down. Free throw percentage down. Turnovers up. Steals down. Blocks down. Personal fouls up. He has done nothing better in the playoffs but score more points than what he did during the regular season. <laughs> you know, Chris, it, it sounded like you were being a teat sucker yourself there for a little bit, but uh, you came down. I, I would give you the stats I have, but I cannot do it like my boy can. Williams, back us up. What do you got? Well, first, I want to talk about Steve Kerr. You know, I had to throw out some coaching stats here. All time. Back to Steve Kerr. Yeah. So this is this is unbelievable here. Steve Kerr's all time playoff record series versus the West. He's never lost. He's 19 and 0. They've now won a road playoff game in 28 straight playoff series. And now they don't need to win a road playoff game this next series against the Lakers. So, yeah, I mean, when the Warriors were last beat by a Western Conference team in the playoffs, it was 2014 by the Clippers. Steve Kerr was doing play by play, and Beat and Joker hadn't been drafted yet. Mahomes hadn't played a college football game yet. So uh, that's that's pretty wild. Twenty eight and zero. That's insane. Awesome stat. Holy cow! What about Curry? I've got yeah. So Curry. I mean, all I know is I want to. I want the guy who's not afraid to take a shot in the fourth quarter. Steph is more clutch than anybody in the fourth. Most points scored in an OT in the playoffs. Steph. Most points scored in a four-game playoff sweep, Steph. Most fourth-quarter points ever scored in a playoff series, Steph. Tied for the most points ever in a fourth-quarter finals game, Steph. I mean, the dude is unbelievable. Those are a lot of good uh, good stats, too, there, Rod. I think that uh, I think Steph's pretty good. How about you? You know as unbelievable as Chris? Come to the Morgan You Know Podcasting <laughs> Network in Balls and Brew for somebody zagging on Steph Curry days after he scores 50 and single-handedly drags his team to a victory over the Sacramento Kings oh, on the road. Score all the points. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> man. Chris, we all know that you love stocks and defense, but come on, man. You were just bludgeoning people over the head with stats there, and none of them meant anything. Like, what are you talking about? Anybody that says Steph Curry's a top five player was dropping an insane take. Just the reason you're dropping an insane take, trying to zag against Steph Curry when he's literally on top of the NBA world right now. Trying to fight fire with fire, Rod. If they're going to be crazy, I'm going to be crazy. Well, you succeeded, my friend. Speaking of crazy, speaking of something that we never thought we'd say, 
Playoff James, James Harden, 45, not 50, so obviously not a top five player of all time. The Celtics lost that game to the 76ers, and I, I'm i still in shock of what happened at the end of that game. James Harden just took over, didn't even care, Rod. Could you believe that the Celtics let that one slip through their fingers when the MVP of the league is sitting on the sidelines? Oh, I got a, I got a, I got a lot of thoughts about the Boston Celtics and why exactly they may have allowed this one and a few other games in this playoff run to slip through their fingers. But I'll allow the other gentlemen to go before I retort. All right, Chris, what do you think? I, I can't understand it either. It's, did they think they were going to have an easy game with Embiid out of the lineup? Because they they knew with him in there they can't control the block, but with him out they should have had an issue. That's the only thing. But like, this is an NBA team. They're supposed to be one of the the favorites to reach the finals, especially now with Milwaukee gone, and they don't make any kind of adjust adjustments to counteract what's happening in the fourth quarter itself, like. When you're in a timeout, do something. Do something that gets <laughs> Al Horford off yes. of James Horden. Yes. They just did it. I don't understand why. Williams, do you understand why? No, I'll give you I'll give you some Harden stats though against the Nets. So I'm just this kind of just details this coming out of nowhere. His field goal percentage in the paint was the worst ever by any player since they've been tracking that stat at ESPN versus the Nets. His field goal attempts <laughs> his field goal attempts and free throw attempts were the lowest of his career since he joined the Rockets. So, yeah, but then like like you guys said, I mean Missoula was an absolute train wreck in game 1. I mean, I, he's incapable of making any in-game adjustments and you have to get the ball out of his hands. You've got the players to do it and B's not even there. You don't even need Horford out there. So, dude, he's got to make he's got to make better adjustments going forward. So we can't we we got to be careful our, our game one situations that we've had already. You know we've had, we've we've had some errors in our judgment on game ones, but this has been kind of a pattern. And the Celtics right now are four and three in the playoffs, so they're not exactly lighting everything up here. I'm a little worried. Rod, is this uh, is this maybe a one and done for uh, for the Celtics? Oh, uh, here's what we need to do, Jim. All right, why don't you just go ahead and hit the music? All right, we are doing Rod Domination right now because we have a little bit of a story that's going to help explain the situation one Boston Celtics find them in right now. Okay, let me take you on a quick journey back two years ago. Things in Boston were stale. They needed to move on. You had an icon, hero of the franchise, Danny Ainge, model citizen in the job at general manager. You had a model citizen, nothing wrong with, head coach, Brad Stevens, but you decided, you know what? Danny Ainge is out. Brad Stevens is upstairs. We need a new voice at coach. We need a guy who's going to hold our players accountable. We need a hard ass. We need someone who's going to bust these young guys' butts and get them doing what they need to do on a night-in, night-out basis. And not, for instance, take an opponent lightly and show up and just think that they can sleepwalk through a game. So you bring a coach in. That coach proves you were right. He turns your team into an absolute juggernaut, gets you all the way to the finals, and you ran up against the guy, Steph Curry, who we just talked about taking out the Sacramento Kings. So sometimes you go up against a guy who's a little bit better than you. Ask Charles Barkley, ask Carl Malone, ask Patrick Ewing. They came up against Michael Jordan. It happens. Ime Udoka is lined up to be the head coach the Boston Celtics need. And then what happens? What happens? We don't know. We still don't know. All we know are the Boston Celtics said to us, trust me, trust me, what this guy did, it's so terrible. We cannot have him coach our franchise. But you know what? The same exact franchise with the same exact commissioner and the same exact bylaws and the same exact league the Boston Celtics compete in is now hiring that guy as their head coach. And we still don't know what he's up to. So Boston Celtics, answer me this. Are you about winning? Or are you about being a model franchise? Because two years ago, you had absolute A number one citizens in your job of GM and coach, and you shoved them aside because you said you wanted a winner. A winner comes in, something pops up, and you run tail. 
throw him out of town and now he's getting hired somewhere else and you got nothing back for him and you promoted a coach from within that seems like he might not be cut out for the job. This is 2023, Boston. You'd take a little bit of heat for a couple of weeks. Maybe a few people be mad. And then guess what? Your fans would come back around. Everybody'd come back around because it's ultimately about basketball and winning basketball cures all. The Rod Nation this week. Never thought I'd get here, but it's the Boston Celtics for fine Ime Adoka. They should have done something else other than suspend him slash fire him because now he's just turning up and working for another organization. And it's clear that that guy had the secret sauce your team needed. I don't think Rod took a breath through that entire, and it was coherent, uh, Rod Nation this week. Obviously, to me, no matter what it was that he did, Udoka wasn't going to come back in under, any, under any circumstances. However, Why, though, Jim? Why? That's he, what I'm saying. If the Boston Celtics want to make whatever he did an issue and they want to make good in the community and good by it, then maybe we could have done something around it. But they didn't do anything. They just told us, trust me, it was bad. He can't work for us. But how can he work for Houston? So I don't buy that argument, Jimmy. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Well, I think that you give Missoula the interim job, which they did, and keep it at interim. And when you know, he's done the same thing all season. Never calls timeouts. Doesn't really adjust very well. End of the season, if you lose in the second round, guess what? Go hire Nick Nurse. Have him come in. Have him be that badass. Be somebody different. Okay? Um, I don't know. Uh, Chris, I, you're you're contemplating life right now. People can't see you. I can. Lots going through that head of yours. What are you thinking, Chris? Rod's right. If they... Twice in one in one episode. Hell, it's it's just it's baffling to me that they couldn't come out and tell us why they were firing this guy. Either, and I won't even go into conspiracies, but like, there's all kinds of crazy things that can can happen. It doesn't make any sense, and they have definitely left something by him not being their coach. Either suck it up and take the hit that you get, or, and that's what they're doing now, is living with what they have. And that's what they have. It doesn't work. For me, Jim, you're right. I'm not trying to defend in any way, shape, or form what it may be that Ime Udoka did. And I'm also not saying that the Celtics have to tell us, right? But I'll guarantee you one thing. Adam Silver knows, okay? And uh, Tillman Fatita, the owner of the Houston Rockets, he knows, okay? And neither one of them have a big, huge problem with it that they had to step in front and say that this can't happen. So then... Through that process, I have to go back to the Celtics and say, okay, why did you guys try to be holier than now when the rest of the league didn't back you up? Because now this guy's got a job less than a year later. Hey, Williams, do you have any stats on people being fired for something we're not sure about going on to another team the next year? (laughs) Unfortunately, no, but I'm just going to say that the local media would not have allowed it. They just they just wouldn't have allowed it. It's just like when a player needs it's just like when a player needs a new change of scenery. It's just he's got to go, and I, I get I get what Rod's saying, and I almost kind of agree with it. But it just it just was never going to happen. If, if the local media, they don't know what happened either, though. So I know. that's my point. That's my point. It, it would have never went away. Yeah. But see, I just what I guess I'm trying to say here is I'm trying to even drill down a little bit further. And Jimmy, thank you for allowing us to stay on this for a little extended discussion here, right? But I just think that like we've gotten to a point now where we say to ourselves, he wouldn't have been able to stay. It would have been too much. But we have so much evidence where that doesn't happen. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to make this be a political show here, Jimmy, but we have so much evidence where that doesn't happen. You just blow past something. You just say, yeah, no, whatever. Okay. And you just don't suffer any consequences for it. And people just move on and forget about it. I just... I don't understand. Well, maybe maybe the Celtics, and you, you've kind of chastised them for being a model franchise, but maybe they are. Maybe they don't want that culture in their building. Again, we don't know, so we're speculating here because it's all we can do, but something said that he is not allowed back in that office environment, whatever it may be, and that we just have to accept it for that. And, and the, Houston is something different. That's fine. He's not going to do. He's not going to do it in, in in Boston. It's over. We've got to move on. Well, so, then I don't want to hear Whit Grossbeck being mad about the Celtics not winning the championship then this year because he made decisions that weren't the best for basketball. So he's got no right to be mad if they don't win. Then basketball wise. All right. And speaking of basketball, another high quality individual, Dylan Brooks, was informed, according to I think Sham Sharania, that he will not be brought back in under again. Looking at my notes. 
any circumstances to the Memphis Grizzlies, I can tell you this. This is a both basketball and cultural move, I think, by the Grizzlies. Dylan Brooks was just a waste on that team. Uh, he was all talk, didn't back it up, and then did the cowardly thing and didn't even fess up to it. So I actually think this is a fantastic move in the right direction for the Grizzlies, which I was a little worried about um, at the end of this Lakers series. Uh, Ron, what are your thoughts on that? I'm sure you disagree with me. Hey, Chris, let me ask you a question. Was Dylan Brooks the one waving a gun around on Instagram, or was that somebody else that was on the Memphis Grizzlies that was doing that? Oh, that was definitely somebody else. All right, so was was uh was the reports of somebody else holding up the private jet and making the team stay overnight in certain cities so that they could be out to the clubs all all hours? Was that Dylan Brooks or was that somebody else on the Grizzlies? Oh, that was definitely that was somebody probably. else. That, was, that right. was probably Dylan Brooks too. Let's be honest. All right, did, did did Dylan Brooks get did Dylan Brooks attempt to accost a finish line store employee in a Memphis mall? Was that Dylan Brooks or was that somebody else on the Grizzlies? Oh, that was definitely somebody else, Rod. All right, so here's my thing, okay? I understand what you're saying, Jimmy. I think Memphis is definitely trying to do all of those things, but this is a classic, no, 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 no. It was this other guy situation. Memphis can do absolutely nothing with their star point guard, John Morant, because he's the best athlete on their team, the best player, highest paid, highest profile, all of the above. But I think the culture in Memphis has a whole lot more to do with him than it has to do with Dylan Brooks. And everybody's saying that Dylan Brooks is going to end up in China. You're wrong. Dylan Brooks still has plenty to offer to a franchise. He'll be in the NBA next year. Yeah. I mean, I, if, I was, if anything, I, I, if anything, he helped get some heat off of Ja Morant during the playoffs. No one was talking about Ja's stuff. It was all the Dylan Brooks controversy. The uh, the weather here in Indianapolis, Indiana, is getting absolutely crazy. We are going to uh, try to uh, uh, wrap this up pretty soon, but I will say. I do agree with you, Rod, that uh, there's a lot more than just Dylan Brooks uh, issues there. So I do agree with you on that one. And finally, let's talk real quick. We've got uh, Heat Knicks tied at one. It has been a uh, really battle uh, between these two uh, organizations. Julius Randle out. Jimmy Butler missed game two. The Knicks took advantage and won that game. Very good win there. Um, Let's go to Denver and Phoenix. Does Phoenix have a chance in hell, Rod, of of coming back? They're down 2-0. It certainly doesn't look like it to me. I, uh, I'm i pretty happy with where I sit right now with our little draft we did when it was just you and I a couple weeks back, Jim, and I got yep. Denver and Boston and Philadelphia, right? So Denver looks like the best team out in the West right now, and either Boston or Philadelphia, whoever comes out of that is probably going to be the best team in the East. So I like where I sit there. I've been one who's underestimated Denver at times, and all of their pieces that we always thought in our mind could coalesce together into a championship-winning team seems to be happening right now. Chris, what do you think? I mean, they are looking real hard to beat right now. They have made easy work of Phoenix these first two games. And Phoenix was supposed to be revamped and ready to go. And losing Chris Paul for who knows how long, I mean, that can have an effect on that team. We've seen that happen before as well. They just need bodies. They just need bodies. It doesn't even matter if it's Chris Paul. They can't afford anybody on that team getting hurt, really. Yep. It is, and it's tough. And I, I had, uh, for those of you uh, keeping track at home, I had the Lakers, Suns, and Warriors. Obviously, I'm going to miss one of those uh, teams after this uh, series that is taking place now. So we're not going to talk too much about the Lakers-Warriors because it's going to be very old news by the time we get there. Uh, anything else before we wrap up the fast break, Rod? Congratulations to uh, the guy who we had at the head of the table most of the season. It was official this evening. Joel Embiid is your MVP of the NBA. So congratulations to the guy that we were smart enough to put at our head of the table, even before Bontemps' straw poll finally had him at the head of the table. Acknowledge him. <laughs> 